Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast brought to you by Medterra CBD. You can go to medterracbd.com and enter discount code BIGMXRADIO20 to save 20% on every purchase all the year long. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line is his first time on the Big MX Radio Podcast and someone that I've been uh, wanting to get on the podcast for quite some time now. I uh, watched a lot of his races throughout his uh, career in the late 90s, early 2000s, and uh, you just might recognize the name, and I'm really excited to tell his story. Ryan Turlicky. Ryan, how's it going? Good, Brad. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for making some time for the podcast, man. Uh, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, really looked looked kind of looked up to your riding in in throughout uh, the my first years riding is back in the the late nineties, like I said, early two thousands, and uh, it's really cool to connect with you, somebody who uh, um, like as far as uh, like you'd have to be a pretty hardcore fan to uh, to to really know the ins and outs of your career but uh, that's it's a good thing that I am so uh, yeah we decided to give you a call today yeah it's awesome I appreciate it it's been it's been a long time it's been like 20 or no 15 years since I you know was last professional so I had about a 10 year stint ish of professional um, so yeah it's been been a while since since my professional days. That's way too cool. Hailing all the way from Salem, Oregon. Uh, I can only imagine the guys that you probably did battle with uh, in the amateur ranks and, and everything like that. But before we get to uh, like kind of your ascent to, uh, uh, I guess that's the Northwestern greatness, um, where does the story begin for you? Where did uh, most likely a parent introduce you to the sport of motocross? What was that first bike? And uh, maybe paint the picture for a little bit for us, uh, uh, you getting introduced to the sport of motocross. Yeah, actually, it was my uh, had two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three. Um, we're about spaced about four years apart. So um, both of my older brothers got into riding um, pretty much from my oldest, though, Alan. He was into it and had a friend. And then, you know, we went to the local uh, a track here in Salem. And then there was Albany as well. Um, but probably watched those guys for maybe a year or less and i was around 11 or 12 uh when i first you know mom and dad finally got me a bike and uh that was a actually a kdx 80 and i had that it's kind of a it's kind of an enduro type of a an 80 and i had that for maybe a few months or six months and then they finally got me a kx 80 so i was around 11 or 12 and then really just seemed like uh started racing from the get-go um at the local tracks you know with my brothers and you know pretty soon we were just all three of us you know it was a family affair so well there you go a couple of brothers to chase around uh as i talked to uh, a couple of brothers and for my lad po- last podcast um Austin and his brother Jordan Hoover uh, down in Florida, like the younger brother always has a bit of a leg up on the competition because uh, he's got faster older brothers to, to, to keep up with and tag uh, so they can tag along. Uh, is that something that you um, use to your advantage to, to maybe uh, gather a little bit more skill and talent uh, as the your, your brothers were uh, a couple of years ahead of you? Yeah, exactly. I would say my middle brother Gary was a little bit ahead of me you know he's four years older but by the time I did end up getting on big bikes it was 93 and we got a CR 125 and he was in the intermediate class and then I was starting out in the junior class that year and just you know from you know practicing and racing I just you know progressed up and then for them you know my older brother he you know he worked and had you know, I think he was more into the mechanic side of it anyways. So it seemed like he wasn't as around during that era as much. And then it was me and my middle brother, Gary, we were racing a lot, but then pretty soon he was around, you know, 17, 18, where he kind of had to work and he was working maybe on the weekend, you know, Saturday were, and then I was progressively still going to the track and, um, you know, and kind of getting better from there. So, yeah, absolutely. It's something that I've seen even locally. The younger brother definitely seems to be uh, more, more um, just adept to uh, like stick with the sport and, and just uh, like 
basically learn from his brother's mistakes and you, you certainly stuck with it and went uh, about as far as you can. Um, what was the amateur scene and the competition like for you once you started to uh, get onto like, uh, like basically, like, I guess they, did they have a, a big wheel 80? They didn't really have super minis. The 100 didn't come out until about middle of the nineties the when you were probably already on big bikes. Uh, who were who some of the guys you were squaring off with uh, around Salem? Well, so for me, basically, I skipped out for uh, for the better part on the 80 class altogether because okay. I was, by the time I got um, on 80s, it was only like less than a year and I was, you know, it was in the beginning. So really for me, like, I feel like I skipped out in, on that and um, and then I got on the 125 and 93 and um, it's hard for me to remember some of the names at that point from around here. Um well, you might remember like Brad Hagseth. Right. Um, there's some others. Brad you know, Hagseth won the on. very first race that, that I ever watched. On. That was early on when I was maybe okay. junior class still. Um, you know, we would race Brad and riders of his caliber like a Woodland and, um, you know, Albany Motocross Park and Sail Marina Cross and Washougal. Um, would so, Darcy yeah, Lange ever come there. down and race you guys? Never, no. Okay. I never. He's around that never age. Did race. Yeah, Darcy. I did. I only raced him later on um, in some of the arena crosses, you know, okay. that he had done, and he was. Um, but for me, we, you know, back then in '93, you know, I was racing, you know, pretty pretty often, and I was getting into it, and then we went to like the um, World Minis started going there i think it was 93 and i was probably 125c class um you know and got my feet wet down there you know i feel like i was i feel like i was top 10 if not maybe top five and then ended up going to loretta lens in 93 as well um and i probably only had less than a year on on that bike or you know and uh a year year and a half somewhere in there and i ended up winning the 125c mod class there there you go um, so I, that was one of my questions for you if whether or not you had a uh a title there but yeah you have one title in 1993 aboard hondas uh the mod and the stock uh didn't go as well in the stock class oddly enough why did you end up 23rd overall no yeah, 30, yeah you had a crash in the second moto i think that's that's probably what it was yeah but. we yeah no it was funny my dad um you know big supporter and um everything and it's funny we're talking about this but yep. we for thanksgiving time we all went over to my parents house and we he used to have this big camcorder um and he used to tape everything you know all of the races and everything so he had all of you know and i've known this but he's had all of these loretta tapes from you know my loretta's years in 93 94 95 and we were like you know me and my boy we wanted to uh watch some of that and um so yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, kind of a blast from the past watching uh, the uh, some of the races back there and everything. So, but yeah, I had a crash in the second stock moto. I think I was running like second or third, and and crashed pretty good and hurt my shoulder and uh, you know, but ended up kind of soldiering on the rest of the week to uh, to win that mod mod class, which was really awesome. Yeah, like the, the the stock class you were able to win. You went two two one three, uh, racing against guy like guys like Clark Styles, who would end up going to uh, racing pro as well. And uh, um, in that mod in that mod class, yeah, you, you sorry about that. You win the mod class stock class. You're you're racing Eric Schnell, brother of um, Greg Schnell from Rancho Cucamonga, Cal California. And I can't see Rancho Cucamonga without saying Rancho Cucamonga it's too hilarious yeah exactly i didn't really know those guys back then but obviously greg you know has done a lot a lot in the sport and everything but never never really knew eric very well you know other than racing him that year but um but yeah good times for sure no kidding and uh like actually oddly enough and we'll get to it uh, your greatest night as a professional happened to be Greg's best night as a professional at the very same race. Um, winning, uh, I believe that was his very first win, if his, if not his only win, uh, in the 125 class. And then, uh, 
uh, your, your, uh, your, your best finish as a pro. Um, but what were uh, like, so you're on Hondas for all years of your, uh, your amateur career, except for 95 with, uh, Suzuki. Did you have a little bit more support there or why the switch? I don't recall. I don't think that I had, um, any more support. It was more local, you know, local bike shop. I don't remember why the switch, with that but um yeah it was a local bike shop and we ended up you know maybe they gave us better deals or whatnot but um did make the switch to suzuki that year and rode uh 125 250 intermediate and did go to loretta's that year uh, i think i might have hit ponca maybe ponca the right before loretta's too so okay it seemed like i was around i know i got like third or fourth i think fourth overall in a 250 250B stock. Stock. Uh, I know my bike broke in the 125 mod. Something happened, the chain or something. I don't remember how I did at Ponca that year. Um, but, um, yeah. Hmm. Fairly good year, I guess. Uh, Loretta's was muddy that I was going to so say, it, it was, must have been muddy because I'm, I'm looking at a two-moto format, which is very uh, yeah, strange for Loretta's. I Loretta. think they were saying it yeah, it was a mutter that year. Like you said, only two motos, so. Yeah, no kidding. Brock Sellards, uh, Casey Lytle also in there. Um, yeah, ton, like tons of talent all the way through those classes, the 125, the 250B, um, and, and, and a lot of fast guys that you were growing up with. Um, like, so your your last year uh, at, at the ranch is 95. You don't turn pro until the winter of 97. Um, why the... Uh, uh, 18 month gap between kind of seeing your results, uh, pop up in my little database here. There, there wasn't, I turned pro in, I want to say right after 95, I did race. Um, I started out racing 125 supercross West coast in 96, but okay. I think all of that year was basically a learning. I mean, you, you know, you're going into the, the deep end there, um, back in those days, you know, right. you're just, you know, you're a 16 year old kid and you're, I mean, Supercross was gnarly. I think I was able to qualify for night shows, but I don't think in that year I rode 125 West. I don't think I made any main events. That's why you uh, wouldn't see me in the vault. Fair enough. Yeah. That, that is one flaw of the vault. It doesn't say that if you didn't qualify, like it just basically registered that you didn't show up. Um, but that's, that's one thing I was going to, I was going to ask is that they're like, uh, where were you? And they just, just, just outside the, the qualifying positions, which I, I believe at that time, they only took the top 20, not the top 22. Um, but, uh, it, it's crazy to make that transition for a lot of guys. Like I imagine out up in Oregon, like you're like, there's not too many races that are at least not in the top three, if not winning it pretty much every moto you go to. And then all of a sudden you show up with every hot shot from all over the country, uh, including the years ahead of you. And uh, it makes it more difficult to make that, uh, that uh, main event roster. Oh yeah. It's crazy, Brad. I mean, you know, you go from an amateur to a pro and like I said, you're, you know, you're younger and you don't have experience riding any of the supercross tracks you know, not like there is today. I mean, literally, I think I went from riding like the local, like arena cross style tracks, getting practice on those to going down to Anaheim, you know, and, and riding, you know, trying to qualify for super crosses and everything. And so it, it, it was awesome, but it was eye opening and, and pretty tough. So once you're able to like kind of break your way through, you make one main event in 1997, Minneapolis, only six hours south of where I'm standing right now, aboard a, two, a 1997 uh, uh, Honda 125, which uh, that for those things like they think 97 and Honda, they still, they think aluminum frame, but that one was still the steel frame. Uh, and those, those bikes were really good. Actually. Tell me about your, uh, the bikes you were on for, uh, for the 97 season. Yeah. From what I remember, if I recall correctly, um, Tom Morgan racing, I'm pretty sure, you know, Tom was yeah. doing a lot of my stuff back then. So okay. I, I, re you know, my bikes were pretty good for, for privateer and everything. Um, I wouldn't say that was really the issue. I, you know, for a privateer guy anyways. So, um, and I kind of wanted to back up a little bit and tell 
little more side of the story was that my older brother, Alan, was, um, you know, he, he was mechanicing for me throughout okay, yep. the um, throughout the amateur, like the Loretta Lynn's, um, you know, all of those years there, he was my mechanic and he That's was, cool. you know, he was pushing me and, you know, he was right there with me. And then he um, ended up working for Ryan Huffman it, back in, I know, you know, Ryan Huffman. Of course, yeah. Um, from, from the Northwest. So he worked for Ryan Huffman, um, I think starting in 96. So 95 or 96. So I had, I was able to kind of tag along with those guys um, through those years there, which was uh, super beneficial, you know, like being around Ryan and, you know, and just getting, you know, getting able to go to the races and everything through those years. Um, I think it was, it was more like 96 or 98, I believe. So, but yeah. he was helping me a lot. So that's awesome. And I, th I think that, uh, uh, Ryan also likes to have fun. So that's, uh, probably like, uh, like lots of good times on and off the track. I'd imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of good times. That's for sure. So, so why the, why the switch, um, from, uh, like you're back on Suzuki's for 1998, uh, but you switched to 250 Supercross uh, specifically, and uh, and that's something that uh, we see you do quite often throughout your career. Um, why was it that you uh, you switched to the to uh, Suzuki 250s? The switch was, oh, I can't recall why Suzuki, but I think it was. I know that I rode 97 though. If we back up a little bit, I was okay. riding 97. I rode CR125 indoors for the Supercross and West Coast, and then I switched over to Suzuki 250s for outdoors in 97. And I was able to get um, some points, you know, throughout the outdoors that year because I got a national number. That was the start of when I got, I think, five consecutive national numbers. So That's pretty um, good, especially because you were I doing it all with uh, Supercross points. Um, and, and outdoor points as well, too. Oh, I, I, or, it's not showing me outdoor points here, which makes. You have to. So on the vault, I have two different. There's two different. Um, Ryan Turlickies. Categories. Well, yes, exactly. There's a middle initial in one of them. Oh, if okay. you click on one of them there, you'll see the outdoors is one. And then one of them is super cross. So I got half um, your career here. My bad. Yes. You sound like you do. Fair enough. Okay, go on though. Um, so I, for me, I felt like I was, uh, I was, I wouldn't say I was a bigger rider, but I liked the bigger bike, the 250. It seemed like it suited me better. And then once I started, you know, 97 outdoors on the Suzuki, I just transitioned in for the next couple of years. And I really liked the RM 250, you know, those three years, um, and yeah, that's what I raced ninety, the end of ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. Oh, and they were good bikes for all intents and purposes. Uh, they were sprung well from all, everything that I've I've heard about those bikes in that era. Uh, well built and, and fairly easy to work on as well. So, uh, like as a as a privateer, were you doing any of your own uh, mechanicing work, or were you, were, did you have your brother doing a lot of it as well? Um, I guess I like yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had the bikes working really good. And like I said, Tom Morgan was helping out and FMS at the time. Um, but yeah, pretty much through all those years, my older brother was with me and well, and then he was working for Ryan Huffman as well. So right. it was kind of, he was kind of doing double duty there. And then, um, he took a break in 99, I want to say. And then my middle brother helped me out at the end of the nationals for 99 there. Um, so pretty much I always had somebody and then my parents were, you know, they were usually flying in or out, you know, depending on the weekend. So, um, I r rarely had to do, you know, was solo and had to work on my own bikes. Fair enough. So looking at, uh, now, now that I have the full picture 
open in front of me. Uh, there are some. Obviously, you did some. You did some nationals, which is uh, which is amazing to see, especially as a privateer. Extremely um, difficult to do. And actually, like the more you start to watch it nowadays, the 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 rarer it is to see guys do an entire national series. Uh, or even a good portion of them as a 250 or a 450 privateer. Like it's just, it's so costly. And uh, I think a lot of guys have a hard time making dollars and cents of it. Um, but uh, you put in some really solid rides, including I, what I would imagine is uh, a pretty uh, big moment for you. 21st overall at uh, the Washougal National. Uh, the, you're kind of the closest one to your backyard, um, which would have been pretty cool in 1997. What was that like? Yeah, it was awesome. I loved going to Washougal, although I never seemed to do as good on the national day as I thought I was capable of doing up there. Like, you know, the track is awesome, but it is deceiving, deceiving, you know, with all of the trees and, you know, the dirt, it kind of gets slick. So I wouldn't say the track actually suited me the best, but, you know, I just loved being up there because the fans were loud and, you know, I was a local boy and I think, a couple of years I got top privateer award, at least one, one year. Um, so Washita was, was awesome. You know, it was always really fun to go back there, you know, and, and race in front of the fans. Yeah. And actually that, that, uh, basically your, your, your last, uh, 250 outdoor on a, uh, a board of Suzuki 2002 Washougal. In fact, I think that's your only national that year. Um, 24th overall, but uh, cool to go out in front of uh, the hometown fans. And uh, um, 38-20 for uh, the moto scores. What happened in that first moto? Oh, I think I got a flat tire in the first oh. moto, if, if I recall is what happened. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is what it is. But uh, um, so 1999, uh, you're on Suzuki's again. You're racing them both 250 uh, like you're on, you're on the 250 indoors and out. Did you at any time? Uh, like I know a lot of guys like uh, Jason Thomas and that stuff. They uh, they would they kind of double class it for Supercross. Is that something you ever considered, dabbled with, or uh, even attempted? I never did. No, I never never dabbled with that at all. We were set up. Um, that was a pretty good year for me. '99. I had a lot yeah. of. Um, I was privateer, but I had a lot of local support. Um, and, you know, and a lot of guys came together to help me out. And we just focused on, I really wanted to just focus on uh, racing the 250 and then 250 Supercross um, in the outdoors. Um, but that was a good year for me that year. Um, had some some solid finishes and everything. So, yeah. That's awesome. Like, What was different about that year than years previous or uh, the ones that came after as far as your consistency and being able to uh, um, race consistently uh, up near, honestly, not like not maybe not near the front, but consistently always in main events, uh, battling with uh, JSR, Tyler Evans, uh, Brian Stone, and, like the Stone brothers, I suppose, Grayson Goodman stuff like that. Like what made it so uh, uh, usual for you to be able to uh, battle with those particular guys time after time? Yeah, I think it was just experience, you know, just gaining experience over the years and, you know, being more comfortable, um, you know, on the bike and everything and probably getting to actually maybe have some more preseason, you know, testing and maybe riding down in California, you know, later on in my, my career like 99 um mm-hmm. you know um but yeah it was it was awesome racing with all those guys um you know it was fun that's awesome now uh this the from from 99 to 2000 you do uh, something that probably most at the most uh privateers at the time probably would not uh do is to switch to a brand like nowadays, Hey, you switch to KTM. Everyone's like, Hey, absolutely. I completely understand it. But in 2000, uh, you might've had a couple of eyebrows raised, especially because for the most part, they were like tapioca orange and they, they weren't known for being absolute world beaters, uh, unless you were racing four stroke nationals. Um, why the switch to KTMs in 2000? You raced them for at least almost two years there, including Husqvarna in 2001. Um, but uh, why switch to the uh, the Austrian brand back in 2000? 
Yeah, I actually got a phone call the end of, well, I guess it was 99, and it was a, a guy that was starting a team and everything, and he, um, you know, he had a semi on order and everything. And um, so, yeah, it was a buddy of mine, Joe Olaf from Ohio, actually. Um, it was kind of a friend of his who um, wanted to start a racing team and okay. the guy had a business and everything. Um, so the guy uh, had a four rider team that year. It was the AM Leonard KTM team. And right. You know, that was the, that was the first year too, that KTM actually had their own factory team as well, though they had a four or five person factory team. So um, I don't know. At that point, you know, that's what everyone, you know, every rider wants is to be on a team um, and everything. So it's just, um, you know, I had to take the opportunity there. Yeah, the, the team looked good. You guys, you're, you're, I believe that's uh, that year, your you're national number uh, 53, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. I was 53. Um, I raced 125 West. Supercross, and then I ended up doing 250 East Coast because I wanted to. I just wanted to go all year long. Yeah, and then I did 250 Outdoors. So, absolutely, and, and uh, only two races. I guess it would be three races into the season. You knocked down uh, what would be your your career best in uh, in a Supercross. Uh, ninth place at the San Diego Supercross, just ahead of Jason Th- Thomas, just behind Jason McCormick, um, aboard a, a high strung uh, KTM. Uh, one, two, five. Uh, do you, what do you remember about that particular night? Um, the, uh, your only single digit performance in, on a, on a, in a supercross, that's gotta be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool to look back on. I remember going into that year, like, I don't remember if the first race was Anaheim, but I, it was, I felt super confident and comfortable and like, I actually belonged you know, to be like, I almost took the next step up from just being, you know, maybe a 15th to 20th, 20th place guy. I felt like I can actually battle with, you know, some of the actual top, top guys. So, and, um, I don't know. I liked that KTM 125 a lot. It was fast. And, um, I, I just felt, felt comfortable and had had some good finishes on it. Yeah, and the the bike looked good. You looked good. Uh, what do you remember about the like getting onto um, the KTM, switching from the Suzuki that you were so familiar with? Uh, I'm trying to remember all the details. I think it was, you know, probably back then the suspension, you know, because there was no linkage that year on the KTM's. Um, you know, for me that was, I mean, probably just getting used to the bike. Um, you know, that I was riding two fifties for the prior two years leading up to that. So, right. um, you know, that was a big switch going, you know, back to, um, a one twenty five. but honestly, like, like my riding style and me, I've always been able to hop on a bike and just kind of, you know, ride it. Um, never been huge on, you know, dissecting the bike and, you know, like a big test, you know, type of person really, you know, just get on it, race it, you know? Well, yeah. Like, uh, coming from a, uh, a privateer standpoint, like you don't always have all of, uh, the, the things that you need at your beck and call you make do and you, you go fast on what you're, you have, um, available to you. And I I think there's something to be said for that. I think there's probably some, uh, some, uh, factory guys that get a little bit lost trying to find that uh, extra top secret perfect uh, setting uh, rather than just uh, twisting the throttle a little bit harder or squeezing the brakes a little harder. Um, but uh, like switching 125, 250, uh, I imagine probably practicing more on the 250 during the week. If I'm, if you can correct me on that, if I'm wrong, um, and, and racing both the 125 and the 250, like whether you're on separate coasts trying to do it on, on the same night, um, no, no easy task, especially back in the day when uh, a KTM or any 125 wasn't exactly jumping the triple uh, whenever you wanted to, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was definitely tough, like you said back in the day, just to hit some of the triples out of the corners. Um, but I think the 250 
you know, that wasn't the plan was to do East Coast. But I think as the rounds went on, I had approached them um, and asked about getting a 250 and doing East Coast, you know. So they they were on board for doing that. And But mostly I remember just practicing on the 125, though, like midweek. Um, okay. Until, you know, maybe the end of Supercross season. And that's when I kind of, I think I was really supposed to be on the 125 outdoors too, but I was the only rider on the team that made the switch to 250 outdoors. And the rest of the guys, um, Joe Olaf, Chris Wheeler, and Mark Burkhart, they all stuck to the 125 class. What's your best Chris Wheeler class. story? I need to hear a Chris Wheeler story. Oh, Chris, he oh he's a great guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of good times that that whole year was a lot of fun um that the team was based in ohio and we basically all lived in a warehouse that the the team owner had uh, kind of like a second warehouse and that was where the race team was based out of so the owner wanted us to be together and be kind of based back there so um it, it was fun there was a lot of good times just in you know in the weeks you know in between the races and everything. Um, but Ohio, you know, it was in Piqua, Ohio. It was kind of, kind of boring, you know, other than doing our, you know, riding and, and training and everything. Um, but I don't really have a great Chris Wheeler story, I guess. Just we had good times and everything, so... Fair enough. Well, uh, I uh, I know the guy's got uh, he he he's been in the sport for a long period of time. So I was curious if maybe you had a, a story from the road. Uh, what was the travel arrangements like for the majority of your pro career? What, like, was it straight out of box van? You're driving to each race. Were you doing a lot of flying? How did you break it up? Yeah, the I would say mostly all box van and me driving. Occasional flying, you know, in those years, 97 through 2000. Um, and then actually in 2000, we, the team, going back to 2000, the team, he kind of wanted us to be together a lot. So like in the beginning of the season, he rented um, apartments or something like in Temecula. So we were all down there for a month or so for all the beginning of the season. Actually, preseason, we were at Guy Cooper's place um for about a month like okay. you know just getting training in all together and so we were there and then temecula for about a month and then we were uh, mid-season or outdoors we were based out of ohio and um basically drove to all of those races um it seemed like we were flying we might have flown to a few um, but for the most part, I remember driving like one of their, one of their vans they had, cause we had a semi that year. I mean, we were, it was a brand new, nice, nice semi they had. So that's wild, man. Well, uh, like it, the, the bikes look great. I, I was wondering if whether or not, like, especially in 2000, uh, that's when the, the KTM 520, uh, or the 525 was available. Was there ever any thought to switch, uh, and race uh, a four-stroke at the Nationals, which uh, there's a, quite a few guys, including Guy Cooper, who had uh, success on those things in or around that time. No, for uh, for some reason, it was just um, really wasn't even a thought. I never even considered it at the time. So I want to say on the factory team that year, though, they had Shane King was riding um, the 520 and he did some super crosses and then I think he was outdoors. So he was doing that. But for me, it was um, really wasn't a thought at the time. So, and I also wanted to add yep. one thing, which is pretty cool is that um, that year at um, the KTM team was that my, my mechanic that year was Frank Latham. So Frankie. that was his second. Yeah. Frankie. So that was his second year of second or third, but he worked for Tyler Evans for, a couple of years because they grew up in the same area. Right. And then I think they might've butted heads in 99 or something. And then with Tyler. So Frank, <laughs> so Frankie, Frankie was my mechanic all that year. And you know, now look where he is. I mean, he's been in the sport ever since then, which is really cool. So, and he's been working for Marvin for the past, 
I don't know, 10 years or so. So at least, yeah, <laughs> had him with uh, in, on the on the 250Fs, and now uh, he's been with him uh, all of his years on the 450. We love Frankie. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, guys in the pits. Someone that uh, will actually let me hang around the bike a little bit longer and not shoo me away. Frankie Latham is good people. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome, and just uh, really good memories with with that that team and and all of those guys, you know, because we were we were together a lot. Um, but it was it was good for back then, you know. I mean, that's what it was all about was you know being on a race and you know being on a team. So, so traveling um, like by Vox Van doing a lot of these nationals. Um, what was your favorite? Uh, what was your favorite national track? And what was your favorite kind of diamond in the rough practice track that you came across in all of your travels? And, and if you had to, if you had to find that track today, you probably couldn't find it because, uh, um, like, you know what I mean? You guys are kind of just like gypsying across the across the nation. Yeah, it's a tough question. So you, to answer your first one, though. Um, I mean, a lot of the nationals were good. I really liked Millville. That track was really good. Um, Bud's Creek was good. Um, But Binghamton, 1998, I actually had my best finish there. So I'm going to have to say that Binghamton was good for for that day in 98. Um, And I ended up getting, uh, I think I just looked, and it was like 17 and then an 8, the second moto, for 12th overall. And I was right you know, right in there with all of the factory guys, that second moto. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that particular day, uh, at, uh, Binghamton, New York, which, uh, for a kid from Oregon, you couldn't be, uh, further, uh, away, um, from, from the other side of the country, but you put in one of your best rides and, uh, yeah, really, really impressive. Um, up there, like I, like you said, like second moto, uh, who'd you finish behind in the second moto? Like, uh, oh, Tokishi Koikeda. That's a, uh, uh, on a, a, yeah. a factory built yeah. Yamaha. What, uh, tell me a little bit I, about yeah. that second moto. I, I just remember that I got off to a good start in that second moto and, um, you know, I was able to hold my position and just, I put, I just remember that I put in a good solid, you know, moto that day in, in that moto, like nothing, you know, happened. I didn't make any mistakes or anything. And I was able to just, I feel like ride where, you know, I was capable of that day with a good start and everything. So it, it was amazing. I remember the, you know, crossing the finish line and everything was, it was awesome. No doubt. And like, uh, one of the, the common denominators that is when I'm going through all of your results is that, uh, you must've found yourself around, uh, one of my favorite guys growing up, uh, John Sebastian Watt pretty often. Cause you guys were basically right in around the same speed and you raced each other quite a bit. We did. Yeah. There was, there was a, yeah. I mean, it was a good portion of my career where me and John Sebastian Watt were racing, you know, seemed like mostly outdoors. I don't remember that he did any super costs. I might be wrong there, but it was mostly outdoors for those several years that yeah. we were, you know, right there together. It seemed like, seemed like he might've been a little bit ahead of me for the most part, but we were still, you know, hovering around the 10th to 15th, 20th spot. Um, so yeah, good times. Yeah, no doubt. Like the on that particular day, you guys basically swap out. He goes eight fourteen, and you go seventeen eight uh, for eleventh and twelfth overall. I got to imagine you guys are probably uh, buzzing around each other most of that summer. Um, which begs the question as to uh, if you ever considered or had an offer uh, to come race Canadian nationals, uh, like your your good friend Brad Hagseth, who I believe knocked down a two fifty, uh, yeah, I guess one twenty five title, and I think that's two thousand. Yeah, I never did. I never, never got the opportunity to go up there. And I don't know if it was because I was mostly 250 guy and maybe they were looking for like, you know, the 125, like West Coast Canadian Mm -hmm. guy, guys, it seemed like. But for whatever reason, I never had the connection or got a call for that. So not, not really sure. Fair enough. So during your, uh, your, your professional career, who would you say was your uh, biggest rival or somebody that you, uh, either butted heads with or seemed to find on the track all the time? 
Oh, that's that's a tough one, really. Um, I don't know about that one. It just seemed like there was a lot of guys, you know, week in, week out that we were battling. I don't think I really had one biggest rival, really, but there was, you know, guys like Tyler Evans, uh, Jason Thomas, John Sebastian Waugh, you know, those caliber guys right in there. Um, Ryan Clark, like, maybe. You know, I, Ryan Clark, yep. I don't feel like I had any really, um, you know, any grudges or anything like that with any of the writers, really. Okay, fair enough. Um, what uh, of all your race bikes that you had during your career, uh, spanning from uh, 2000, or 1996 all the way to 2002, uh, if you could have one of those bikes back, uh, what what one would you want to be uh, have in your uh, your living room or on uh, on your mantle? I'm going to go with the 99 R Suzuki RM250 from that year because the bikes, it's a good bike. we had them pre-dialed and we had, you know, they were looking really good. And we did a, for Washugo, we did a, one of my sponsors that year did like plate, like he did like metal plating type of stuff, but they were able to um, actually like dip my finger fenders in um, chrome and they cool. chromed my whole bike. So I actually still have the plastic. Um, one of these days I need to build like a replica, but it would probably be that bike just because I liked the Suzuki RM250 those, those years. And it was, we, we had the, the bike dialed, you know, motor-wise and everything. I mean, it was ripping and it looked good. So probably that, that year. Fair enough. I, that that was you were looking good. In, in the, I think I have some pictures uh, in my phone from uh, from that particular year. Uh, you also you you rode rode with um, Cinecilo gear quite often throughout your career. Um, what was your connection to those guys? And uh, um, if at if all, if at all, do you have uh, gear left over from uh, from your years as a pro? I don't know. Some guys keep that stuff. Some guys uh, couldn't be bothered to. Yeah, I. Yeah, I got a lot of it, actually. There's stuff that probably, um, you know, I could probably get rid of some of it, but there's a, a lot of the stuff that was custom or had my numbers on it or sentimental. I've been keeping that. But, yeah, Bob Rathcamp at um, Sinasalo Garnet, he, I think it was in 2000 when I first started riding for Bob um, on the AM Leonard KTM team. And then the years following that, he helped me out, too, with gear. Um, so, yeah, it was it was great. I think we just started a relationship from, from that year and it progressed on. Um, like one, one manufacturer that jumps off the page at me, both, uh, like, uh, I don't think your race is, uh, uh, in supercross or at least maybe didn't make any mains on it was the, uh, the Husqvarna, uh, 250 MX, or maybe it was a four stroke. Um, like, uh, why switch to the uh, the Husqvarna? Tell me about that machine. Uh, a whole lot different than the Husqvarna we see today. It actually was not the Husqvarna, and the vault has that in there because what the story was on that was after the year in 2000, okay. um, when I was on KTM, um, I was approached by Chuck Sun at the end of 2000, and he was working for KTM at the time as a regional um, rep. Okay. And he was he was tasked to take on KTM had bought the Husaberg line or the Husaberg brand, right. and I think Chuck Sun was tasked to uh, run a small Husaberg effort for 2001, and he had got a hold of me. It seemed like it was around the winter time, or maybe you know, fall to winter time, and wanted me to try out one of the bikes, and I tried it out i liked it i didn't have any other offers for anything else so i rode for chuck for that year and it was actually on husaberg um we focused on the four stroke nationals that year and the okay, work series um in the work series too as well on off-road oh um, okay the four yeah so that's why you did i didn't wasn't really doing any super cost obviously i mean it was mostly a you know, an outdoor deal, I guess. Um, but it went good. The four stroke nationals went well. I would seem like I was always top three. I think I finished third overall that year. Um, 
don't know if I ever won any races. I might have won one, but I was definitely top three. Um, but it was good. And then the work series was a lot of fun. Um, seemed like I did fairly well with those two. So was top five, top ten. No doubt. And honestly, uh, racing work series back when like I was just on the on a podcast where we were talking about how how much cooler off-road racing has become over the last five years in verse to where it was in the early 2000s, where uh, it, it just like it maybe had uh, um, like good rider turnout, but it didn't exactly have the, the, the media coverage and the uh, the kind of the, the cachet that it uh, that currently has. Uh, what were some of those work series races like? And uh, um, a Hooserberg, um, probably a brand that not too many people know about, uh, racing it both uh, off-road and in some nationals. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, um, it was really good. I, I liked the work stuff. They were like two-hour-long races and i i wasn't really i'd never really ridden or was used to anything like that because i was mostly moto supercross so yeah it was a lot of fun it just seemed like seemed like what i remember the first half of my races went pretty good and then it seemed like things would happen or maybe you know bike problems you know were you know kind of held me back with the actual results on those but i think i was doing pretty good holding my own with some of those guys uh, i like that that's uh the the, the the diversity of moto um in addition to your like your motocross your outdoor nationals as well as supercross uh for those who don't know uh for the longest time uh, arena cross was usually held in the fall uh with uh with hot shots like uh, buddy antonez and stuff just ruling the roost uh is that something you ever uh, dipped your toes into uh to kind of get ready for supercross or uh was it just typically uh, focused on supercross only i did yeah i, I hit the local ones whenever they were around like uh, Tacoma Dome. I know I was there for, I can't remember the year I was up there. It might've been Oh two. I did that in Portland. Whenever there was the arena cross came to Portland, I did that one year. Um, and then like Reno down in Reno, there was always a big arena cross there. Even before the actual arena cross series, we yeah, would the race arena down cross. in Reno. The, the arena cross. So that was cool doing that. Um, so yeah, definitely. I was, you know, I tried to hit any any of those two if the schedule allowed, and you know, um, so yeah, I like it. Uh, what was your proudest moment uh, as a pro? Um, a time where like, and some guys were able to to kind of be in the moment and 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 recognize like just how cool uh, certain things are. Uh, some guys it goes by like a, f- a flash and they don't really they're not able to uh, to really grab hold of it. Um, but uh, if you can think, what was one of your proudest moments as a professional motocross racer? Oh, it's a tough one, but I guess I would have to say. Um... You know, just my Binghamton finish was good um, or was really awesome. And then just being up at Washougal and racing in front of, you know, the fans up there and, um, you know, getting top privateer one or two times up there. Um, I think those were my proudest memories. Love it. And uh, if you're going to uh, take any, uh, do any, uh, um, like take some footage from your racing days and, and show your son uh, what footage you're probably uh, pulling off of the, uh, the motocross vault on uh, YouTube. Oh, that's a tough one too. Um, probably any of it, to be honest with you, like, you know, um, some of the, some of the supercross races or, you know, even some of the motocross stuff. So um, yeah, I think he would like to see any of it. Cool. Do you still ride yourself nowadays, or uh, is it typically just uh, uh, line on the fences for your kid? No, I I actually just got back into it not too long ago because of my boy. We got he got a bike, and then I did over the summer, and um, started riding a lot more over this past year, and planning on doing some more racing next year. You know, like some thirty, forty plus type of stuff, local. Um, Maybe go back to Loretta Lynn's too. You know who's going to back Loretta Lynn's next year? Jeff Emick. I do not. Jeff Emick. Wow. On a, yeah. On a Husky He's... 125. I, that is uh, confidential information that I'm probably in trouble for telling everybody, but that's the plan. That's so awesome. Yeah, Emig, uh 
Emig is awesome. So I also thought I heard that Michael Lefty was going to try and race Loretta's next year and try and get some more titles, but that could be a rumor too. Oh, absolutely. I think he's totally going to do that. And if he does, he'll have a number one jersey ready uh, for his championship celebration when he wins like 30 plus or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I thought I heard he was going to try and do 25 plus and uh, open pro or something. That's amazing. But yeah, he probably will. That's hilarious. Um, any guys that when you were racing, especially in your early, like 1996, 97, where you're on the, you're on, you're either practicing with them or racing with them where you found yourself kind of reading the back of name bars and being like, holy crap, I'm on the, I'm on the track with blank. Um, yeah. I mean, in the beginning it was like, I mean, there was all of those factory guys, but it was McGrath. And then a few years later, it was, you know, like Ricky Carmichael. Um, and then all of the others, I mean, there was, you know, Wyndham and, you know, the list goes on, really. So I was I was there, and, you know, I've raced with a lot, you know, a lot of those guys for, you know, a good five to seven years. Yeah, no kidding. Like, I, I think of a guy like Ricky Carmichael. Like, you were there racing as a, as a privateer his first year on a 250 in 99, um, watching him uh, struggle on the 250. Like, I'm of the mind to think that he probably should have stayed on 125s one more year. Uh, what What's your take? Honestly, I was worried about myself and, <laughs> and, and not – not so much Ricky, really, you know, I mean, he was so good, but yeah, he did have his, uh, you know, some crashes as well, but I was probably more focused just on, you know, myself. Fair enough. Well, uh, this has been a lot of fun, uh, Ryan. I really appreciate you making some time for the podcast and, uh, um, yeah, hope, hopefully we didn't leave anything out of, uh, that you want to talk about tonight. I, I really wanted to sort of kind of go through your, your career and your, your time on two wheels with a fine tooth comb and, uh, um, maybe, uh, maybe eight, eight, nine months from now, we can be talking about you going back to the ranch. Yeah, Brad, I appreciate it so much. And yeah, I hope so. And yeah, that would be amazing. Cool, man. Well, uh, um, the, all the best to you during the holiday season. Thank you so much for making the time. Uh, do not hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. <laughs>